Well, welcome. We're doing a six-week series in here uh, in the Confession. Our uh, Sunday school, our adult Sunday school plan takes us through the Confession all the way every four years. So we come and we do six-week sections at various times and get all the way through the Confession over the course of four years. Uh, So we're in our uh, third week of this uh, six-week session. Uh, So we started with... um, we started with faith, and then last week looked at repentance, and this week we're looking at good works. And the um, and there's overlap in these uh, three chapters. Uh, you know, in the faith chapter, it it uh, you know it, it clearly teaches you know salvation by faith alone, but it feels like it ha- they need you know the divines felt like they said you know, but you know but that doesn't mean we don't do good works. And then we get to uh, repentance, and it talks about. And we talked. You know, he said the chapter is repentance unto life. That that uh, that everyone must turn uh, from their sin and towards God uh, in order to be saved. And yet, so they didn't have to say. But of course, we're saved by uh, faith alone. We saw in the scriptures that there were a, a number of places where uh, uh, believe and repent are put together, and sometimes repent is used as the shorthand for repent and believe because our first act of faith, our first act of turning from viewing the world in a worldly way to turning and trusting in Jesus Christ uh, as our only hope, that first act of faith is also our first act of repentance. It's a turning from and a turning to uh, uh, God, turning from our sin, our unbelief, our, the sin of our unbelief, and turning towards uh, trusting in God. And so then the divines go on to talk about uh, good works uh, more particularly. So just uh, getting into it then, uh, the first paragraph is that good works are only such as God hath commanded in his holy word, and not such as, without the warrant thereof, are devised by men out of a blind zeal on any pretense of good intention. So good works are only such as God hath commanded in his holy word. So uh, we know what's good because God has told us what is good. Uh, We know what God wants us to do because he's told us what he wants us to do. Now, uh, some of God's commands are broad, and they have multiple applications. So you think of um, um, uh, Malachi, uh, you know, what does God require of you, O man, uh, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? Well, love mercy. Mercy is a big category, you know, or you think about the way the Westminster Divines uh, deal with the Ten Commandments and the uh, larger catechism. If you ever looked at the Ten Commandments in the larger catechism, you've got the one command, and then they have this whole long list of these would be the things you would have to do to fulfill this one little command. And then here's this whole long list of things you have to avoid in order to fulfill this one command. So the commands in Scripture can be uh, uh, generic or, or broad. Uh, and so just taking some examples uh, in terms of um, th- think of the, the, all the times in the Old Testament where it talks about the importance of looking after the widows and orphans. Now, you can take that really narrowly and go, okay, the only people I have to look after are widows and orphans, right? But it, it, it's clear that the Bible's teaching that we should be looking after those who uh, are in need and that have uh, a need that came upon them uh, not... Uh, uh, particularly those who are in need, uh, not by their own doing, right? So a widow is a widow, not if she killed her husband, but because her husband died, right? An orphan is an orphan not because it killed its parents, but because their parents died. And so they've come into need um, in a way that they, there's nothing they can do about it. They didn't cause the problem and they, don't ha- they have no ability, especially in that culture, to fix the problem. And so uh, God is calling us to look after those who are in need. And, so then, uh, and then in that category, then we're supposed to love mercy. 
Well, that, that can then get really broad, right? And so, so, Carolyn, there's no command that I've been able to find in scriptures to collect wheelchairs. Nowhere in the Bible does it say collect wheelchairs, get them repaired, and get them to those who are in need. And yet, that is a good work. That is the work of God. That is in, that is in the Bible, even though it never specifically says it in the Bible, it's, it's, a, it's a work of mercy to those who are in need due to no fault of their own. And so you are fulfilling that command of God to do that sort of thing. Nowhere does it say uh, go on marches for life. Nowhere does it say stand outside abortion clinics and pray. Nowhere in the Bible does it say lots of these things that we do as acts of mercy, but they are implications of the scriptural teaching to care for those who cannot care for themselves, right? And uh, we get into trouble uh, when, not when we do these things or think of these things as good things to do. We get in trouble when we start thinking everybody's got to do the good work that God's called me to do, right? So uh, uh, as soon as uh, Carolyn says, you know, if you're not collecting wheelchairs, you're not loving God and loving people, then we've kind of gone beyond what the scriptures, because uh, God has made Carolyn the hand and he's made me the foot. He's given us different callings, different service, different gifts. Using Jesus' language, it's different talents. He's given us different talents and then calls us to serve with those talents that he has given us. So uh, uh, your talent might be collecting wheelchairs. Your talent may be uh, uh, praying outside uh, of an abortion clinic. Your talent might be uh, uh, you're good at making money, and so you're giving tons away to charities. You know, talents can be all over the place, and all of these things as we help people who are in need due to no fault of their own is the good work of mercy. So, again, so when we say good works are only such as God has commanded in his holy word, that's still a very broad category is what, is what I mean. And, uh, but they want to make clear that it is possible to make up stuff that is not good. So good works are not such as without the warrant of Scripture are devised by men out of blind zeal or upon any pretense of uh, good intention. Uh, so just some scripture verses here, Matthew fifteen nine. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for the doc, teaching for doctrines, teaching for God's law, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men, things that men have made up. Or Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as they draw near with to me with their mouths, their lips do not honor me, but have removed their heart from me, and that. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. So they're, they're taking commandments taught by men and using that as if that was uh, living in fear of me, living in a right way before me. Or 1 Peter 1.18, For as much as ye know that ye are not redeemed by the, with corruptible things as silver and gold uh, from your feudal ways, um, received by tradition from the fathers. Uh, and so uh, you're living, uh, he says, there's this group that's living in feudal ways. They're living by the traditions of the fathers rather than by the word of God. And to live by, to try to be holy by the traditions of the fathers rather than by the word of God is, is feudal. Or John 16, 2, uh, they shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh that whoever killeth one of you will think he is doing God's service. So now here's this is getting into that idea of pretense or good intention. They think they're doing a good thing, um, but they are uh, they're making up what it is that they w- God would have them to do. So casting the Christians out of the synagogue, they think they are doing a good thing. They have the best intentions, and yet. They are not pleasing to God. You can think in this way of, uh, of uh, the early life of the Apostle Paul when he's persecuting the church. Uh, until God opens his eyes, he thinks that the Christians are following a blasphemer. He thinks that 
that the Christians are a false religion and that are leading people away from God. And so with all the best intentions, he's hunting out Christians and having them killed in some cases. Uh, and uh, and the, you know, good intentions do not make a, a good act, uh, says the Westminster Confession. You can think about um, Saul's response to Samuel. Uh, they had uh, taken Gilgal, and, uh, and the Lord had said, you know, devote everything to destruction. Destroy everything. Man, woman, and child, cattle, sheep, everything was just to be destroyed in the battle. And they kept some. They kept the best of the sheep and the cattle and so forth. And Samuel shows up and is like, what's this going on? And Saul says, well, I, I kept them in order to sacrifice them to the Lord. And, uh, and Saul says, even if that's true, does God want, what does he want more, sacrifice or obedience? And, uh, and so uh, it's not that Saul's saying, you know, sacrifice doesn't count for anything. You know, you know he's not like, like, get out of sacrifices free card. He's saying, no, what God wants first and foremost is your obedience and then, uh, and then your sacrifices. So anyway, uh, it is possible then to create your own uh, way of doing things. And what the divines were dealing with mostly at the time was, uh, uh, you know, with the Catholic Church. And so the Catholic Church had created all kinds of ways that weren't in the Bible to get you right with God. Uh, and so if, if someone tells you, you know, you need to put ashes on your forehead and then you need to give up things for Lent and you need to do all these things in order to get yourself right with God, that be a pious person, uh, then just run in the other direction. Because good works are not things that we think of in order to make ourselves better. Uh, good works are those things uh, which uh, God tells us to do. So Paul in uh, Colossians 2 uh, says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect to a ho holy day or the new moon or the Sabbath days, which are shadows of things to come, but the body of which is Christ. Wherefore, if you be dead to the rudiments of the world, why? Uh, as if living to the world, you subject yourselves to the ordinance of the world. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle all which perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things uh, indeed have a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in the honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So, I mean, just think about Lent there for a second, Right? It has, it has an appearance, a show, as Paul said, of wisdom, right? I'm giving up something for the Lord. Well, who's going to say that's really bad? It's bad that you give up things for the Lord, right? Uh, and yet to say what's going to make me pious, righteous, helpful with God is this season that I have created where I'm going to give up something every year uh, for the Lord, it has the appearance of wisdom, but it's really will worship. What Paul says is when you start to do those sorts of things, what you're doing is you're worshiping your own will, what I think about what is good and right and, and pleasing to the Lord, rather than looking to the Scriptures to find out what is good and right and pleasing uh, to the Lord. So, any questions about that before I move to paragraph 2? All right, paragraph two. These good works, remember the ones done in obedience to the law, these good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them, believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify the brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of the adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship those works are created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having their fruit unto holiness, they may have their end, which is eternal life. So again, uh, there's faith, and then there was repentance unto life, and here's our good works unto life, right? That we, uh, in, in repenting and in trusting Christ, we're turning from the old dead works, and we're returning to Christ, and that is leading to good works that are really good, 
and, and, and the end of those good works is our eternal life. Again, not as something to merit eternal life. They're going to have to make that clear in the next paragraph. Uh, but uh, they, they lead to an everlasting life, just like repentance. All right. So these works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. So faith leads to works. And by these works, then, believers manifest their thankfulness. So why are you, work, why are you doing, uh, uh, why spend all that time on wheelchairs? Why, why, why spend all that time on wheelchairs? Well, because God has done so much for me, right? Uh, why, why pray outside an abortion clinic? Why uh, help at uh, Elijah House Academy? Why, you know, any, name any of those things that members of our church do. Why? Well, because... God has done so much for me. I, I want to turn around and show my thankfulness to him. And then it should strengthen uh, our assurance. Uh, if fruit is the, if good works is the fruit of faith, and I go, okay, am, am, do I have faith? Do I have faith? Oh, well, yeah, because I'm not instinctively going to do all that wheelchair stuff. You know, that's just not, you know, it, it, it must be that God has done something in my life to make me, you know, because I'd much rather just sit and watch television, right? I'd rather, you know, I can think of it, as I mentioned last week when we were talking about uh, 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 repentance, there are all kinds of other things you could be doing right now besides coming to Sunday school, right? Uh, the good work of wanting to learn about God is an evidence of a faith. It should, it should strengthen our assurance. And then, therefore, edify the brethren, so as, as uh, I see you doing your good works, as you see me doing my good works, as we all show up here together to learn in Sunday school, as we all go over there in the next hour to worship, uh, we are edifying each other. You know, if, if, uh, if Robert Buffa can do it, then I can do it. You know, if, 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 uh, if, if Turner, you know, can serve that many hours, then, then I can serve that many hours. I can pull it off. I can, you know, you know if Turner can do it, I can do it. We edify one another. Uh, we adorn the profession of the gospel. You know, people will talk about uh, trying to preach the gospel by our works, which is a problem because the Bible is a book of words, but it adorns those words. Our works adorn those words. As we say, um, uh, uh, Jesus loves you, and then we love them in a tangible way, it adorns that profession. It makes it believable, as it were. And then stops the mouths of adversaries. You know, the Bible talks about your, your good works. They, they will see your good works and give glory to God. Even the unbeliever will see your good works and give glory to God. And therefore, then the last thing, our good works glorify God. Now, they then, in the, still in this paragraph, they want to say that our good works that glorify God, they're really his works. You know, think about Paul. It is God who is uh, working in you to will and to do that which is pleasing in his sight. So as you are doing your good works, whatever it is, praying, coming to church, serving the needy, uh, as you are doing your good works, it's really God that is working through you. They are created for you in Christ Jesus. And, uh, and the fruit that they bear is a holiness in your life, a perfection, a... a um, uh, a, a movement of from glory to glory in your life. As you do these good works, uh, you become uh, uh, more pleasing to God. Uh, and then, again, we've already talked about their end being eternal life. And so they, uh, they're saying, you know, this is really important, right? The, doing good works is really important. So then they have to pause um, and say their ability to good, do good works, the believer, the Christian's ability to do good works, is not of themselves, but wholly of the Spirit of Christ, and that they may be enabled thereunto, besides the graces that they have already received, there is required an actual influence of that same Holy Spirit. Okay, so they're saying, yes, the Holy Spirit has come to you, and he's regenerated you. Yes, he's come to you, and he has uh, placed Christ's righteousness on you, so you are, saint, you are justified. Uh, but if you're going to actually do any good works, then the Holy Spirit has to do even more work on you, right? He's got to continue to work on you every day uh, to work to... Uh, so 
So you have to have an influence of that same Holy Spirit to work in them to will and to do that which is his good pleasure. So again, that's almost a direct quote of, of Paul. It is God who is at work in you to do that which is pleasing in, the, in his sight. Uh, and so whenever... You know, whenever we uh, do something that's right, it's there. Paul's like, I got no, I got no grounds for boasting. Right? I got no grounds for boasting because if I, even what I do that's good, it's God that's working in me. So then they, but then they have to go. Okay, now and yet, and yet they are not just to sit around and wait for the Holy Spirit. So this is you know classic God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. You're not going to do any good works unless God is moving in you to do them. And yet, you can't just sit around and wait for God to move you. Like, if God wants me to pray outside an abortion clinic, he will get me up and move me out there, right? Uh, no, you don't just sit around and wait for the whole, some special feeling of the Holy Spirit. But we ought to be diligent in stirring up the grace that God has given us. So... Uh, it's, it is all God's work, and it's something that we have to do. Uh, just like faith is a gift of God, and yet it is something that we have to do. We trust Christ. I trust in Christ. Now, I wouldn't do it if God didn't give it to me, but it is still something that I do. I trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit doesn't trust in Christ for me. He puts it in my heart to trust in Christ. And uh, God doesn't do my good works for me. He puts it in my heart for me to do those good works. <coughs> Excuse me. And so I, stir, I have to stir up that grace that God has given me. Now, how that works is beyond me. I just know that the Bible teaches both of those things to be true. And that's the thing about this uh, chapter, and it's going to get even uh, crazier as we get further down. Uh, Sometimes our theology can become too simplistic. We can, you know, put things in a box. If this is true, and it is, then this can't possibly be true. And yet, often the scriptures say, this is true, and this is true, right? So here's one of those. You're only going to do good works if God moves in you, and yet you need to be working. You need to be stirring up um, that grace that God has given you. All right, so then uh, the next one, next paragraph, uh, is very much, as I said, these guys are writing in the context of the Catholic Church and dealing with uh, a, a very real threat of the uh, church in England and Scotland returning to Catholicism. And so they say, they who, in their obedience, attain to the greatest height which is possible in this life. So the, the best person you've ever met. The person who is, uh, you just like, wow, I wish I could be as righteous as they are. I wish I could be as loving as they are. I wish I could be more like them. That, that's, the, you know, that's what I'm striving after. Um, that great, no, whoever's attained the greatest height that is possible in this life are so far, a, uh, so far from being able to supererogate. Now, supererogate was a Catholic uh, theology word, which meant did more good works than God would require. You know, I, they got extra. They did all that they needed to do, and then they did some more. And they're saying, the divines are saying, that is just absolutely impossible. You can't do everything you're supposed to do and then do some more because you'll never get up all the way to everything you're supposed to do. Nobody. And so this is, this is the, uh, in the Catholic world, uh, theology, this is the, uh, the saints. So the saints, the ones they have declared to be, the church has declared to be saints, they have super aggregated. They have done more good works than they really needed to do to please God and get into heaven. And so uh, the church then has the ability to take some of their good works and apply it to your account. And then that gets you out of purgatory faster. Uh, and Oh, so the divines want to say, no, there's no such thing as supererogation. Uh, you cannot do more than God requires uh, because we all fall, fall short of the duty that we are bound to do. Any questions about that? Okay. So then 
they want to go on to make sure we understand uh, that we have to do these works. If we don't do these works, we're not going to have eternal life. And yet, again, and yet, we cannot by our best works merit pardon for sin or eternal life at the hand of God by reason of the great disportion that is between them and the glory to come, the infinite distance that is between us and God, whom by them we can neither profit nor satisfy the debt for our sins. But when we have done all that we can, and we have done, we have done but our duty and our unprofitable servants. That should be ringing a bell uh, from the Bible. And because they are good, they proceed from the Spirit. And as they are done by us, they are defiled and mixed with so much weakness and imperfection, they cannot endure the severity of God's judgment. Bottom line, we cannot by our best works a merit pardon for sin or eternal life at the hand of God. Because as they are good, they proceed from Him. And as they are wrought by us, they are defiled and mixed with so much weakness and perfection that they cannot possibly endure the judgment of God. Now, if you've been at All Saints for any period of time, you're going, yeah, right, check, got that box, heard that sermon. Um, now, look at the first word in the next paragraph notwithstanding. That is a great word. I, 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 you know, I, that's definitely not one that's in my vocabulary. I'm not sitting around at the men's study going, notwithstanding. Uh, but basically, they want to say, everything we just said is true, and yet there's something different. There's something more that you need to know. Besides all that that we just said about how you can't merit anything before God, you can't earn your salvation... Go back two chapters. If you think you're meriting something, go back two chapters. Look at faith, right? And, and it says, and yet, and yet, the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works are also accepted in him. Not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable. Remember we said they're all mixed. Whenever it's coming from us, it's mixed with all this junk. Not that they are wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that he, looking upon them in his Son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, accompanied with, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. He is pleased to accept and reward. It's easy to fall into that, um, in thinking about that previous paragraph, about how our works don't merit anything, and how, you know, anything that's good comes from God, and, and, and then it's all mixed up with my badness, and they get to the point where, you know, so God just can't possibly like me or anything that I'm doing, right? He can't, there's no way in which God can be pleased with me because I'm the part that messes up the good works. But it says, in looking upon us in his Son, he is pleased to accept and reward uh, uh, that which is sincere, our good works, the things that we do. Uh, I was at the conference uh, this past week, a preaching conference, and uh, Kevin DeYoung was talking about antinomianism, so against the law, antinomian, against the law. And he said there are three ways that we kind of fall into antinomianism. And uh, and he said the first two are fairly obvious, and most of us uh, who are, would want to go to the Gospel Reformation Conference, which is people kind of like All Saints people, we're not going to fall into the first two. But the third one we can very easily fall into. And so he spent his talk on that third one. And that, it really, I really appreciate that because so, so often it's, it's so easy to say, see what they're doing over there and why that's wrong? And he was doing the see how we can do this, see how we can fall into antinomianism. He said the first one, the first way that we fall into being anti-law uh, is to make holiness unimportant, right? So you say, um, you know, we are saved by grace. And so that as soon as someone says, you know, you ought to do this or the Bible says you have to do this, then you go, ah, legalism. Any ought or have to, that just gets the title of legalism and, that, and therefore meaning the law is unimportant. I mean, you are now against the law because you can't have an ought. 
uh, as an antinomian. So he says that's the first way you fall into legalism. You make holiness unimportant. You make good works unimportant. You make repentance unimportant. Um, the second way you uh, make uh, you slip into antinomianism is by making it automatic. Now, reformed people can fall into this category, although we're better, we're, we're decently good at catching it. We can fall into this category. So um, there was a uh, when I was in college, there was a popular bumper sticker amongst Christians that said, I'm no different than you, I'm just forgiven. And I thought, I, I, even, in, even in my young college days, I had enough smarts in theology to go, I sure hope that's not true, right? I sure hope it's not true that Christianity, that faith in Christ has made no difference in your life that you act just like you did before you became a Christian, and you are no different now than you were before. Um, this, is, this is an antinomianism of, 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 uh, uh, of letting, of thinking that it will just happen. So the other bumper sticker that was popular was, let go and let God. Just let go and let God. And the way it comes out in, uh, in our circles is... Uh, where we focus on uh, justification, and we hammer justification, and then when asked about sanctification, we just say, keep trusting in Jesus, and it will happen. You just got if you got sin in your life, just look to Jesus. You know, all you got to do is look to Jesus, and that'll fix it. It'll just happen automatically if you, if you just keep trusting and keep looking to Jesus. You don't have to worry about the law. It'll, it'll take care of itself. It'll happen automatically. So he said this is a second kind of uh, antinomianism. He said the third way, and this is the way we fall into it, is to make living the Christian life, holiness in this life, impossible. All right? So imagine a scenario where I bring you to a great mountain, and we're at the foot of the mountain, and we're looking up this uh, massive mountain. You know, we're in the Alps, and we're just looking at this massive mountain. And then I give you the 99 reasons why you can't climb this mountain. This mountain is unscalable. It doesn't matter how skilled you are. It doesn't matter uh, how hard you work, how much you want to do it. This mountain is unclimbable, period. And let's say that I convince you that it's unclimbable. What's the logical answer to that? Don't try climbing. That would be foolish at that point. If I've convinced you the mountain is unclimbable and you still try to climb it, everybody's going to go, that's crazy, right? If you're trying to climb an unclimbable mountain. The only way you would try to climb that mountain is if you thought, eh, he doesn't really know how skilled I am at climbing mountains. Or, you know, I'm, I think if I work hard at it, I can get it. But if I really convince you it's unclimbable, then, you don't, then it's just foolishness uh, to, to climb it. And so we, in our Reformed teaching of that previous paragraph, you know, about all our good works are messed up, all our good works have, are filthy rags, we're never a profitable servant. And by hitting that so hard... We can make it sound as if uh, a, a holiness in this life is impossible. So I want to tell you that living a faithful Christian life is not meant to be impossible. Living a faithful Christian life biblically is not meant to be possible. Of course, justification by our works is impossible, and being perfect in holiness is impossible. But living a faithful, holiness, holy Christian life that is pleasing to God is possible. All right? Think about Job for a second. You're, again, our doctrine can get too, too simplistic. God said Job was blameless. Does that mean Job was without sin? Does that mean Job was the one person in history that didn't need Jesus Christ to be saved? No. So we have to have a doctrine that's sophisticated enough to both teach you, you know, your works are filthy rags and you can't merit your salvation and uh, all that good reformed doctrine that's only faith alone. And at the same time, God can look at his people and go blameless, blameless, 
blameless. I am pleased with that servant. I am pleased with that servant. We have to have a doctrine that allows us to look at the parable of uh, the servants. Remember the servant that gets the one talent, the servant that gets the two talents, and the servant that gets the five talents. Servant with the one talent buries it. Servant with the two makes two. The servant with five makes five. The one who buries it, God, uh, God, uh, the, the master says, you know, you didn't use your talent for me. And he's mad at that servant. And I think sometimes in the reform camp, we can think we are all that servant, right? That's the only one we can ever be is that servant. But Jesus actually is telling us, he's telling us to be servant number two or servant number three and not servant number one. He's saying, I gave you two talents. What did you do with them? I gave you five talents. What did you do with them? And when the guy with two talents comes and goes, I made two more. He doesn't go, well, why didn't you make five? He's a father loving a child and says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master, right? Not now you get to be joyful because you're with your master, but enter into the joy of your master. The master has joy in the servant. He's pleased with the servant and goes, come on in. Come into my joy. I am so pleased with you. And then he turns to the five and goes, you only made another five? Why didn't you make ten? No, he goes... One, come, come and enter into my joy. Good servant, you have well pleased me. And, and the Christian life lived rightly is pleasing to God. We can please God. He is happy with his children. Remember, it said our good works are accepted in Jesus Christ. Not only does Jesus clean me up so that I can get into heaven, he cleans up my works so that God can can be pleased with me. I am pleased with you, says the Lord to the servants, to the faithful servants. God is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, even though it's accompanied with uh, all kinds of weaknesses and professions. So we talked about Job. Think about Hebrews 11, you know, this, the, the heroes of the faith. And Samson is listed in the heroes of the faith. Now, how, think about all the sermons you've heard about Samson. How often is the sermon about Samson, see how great he's doing? Isn't the sermon about Samson more often, well, he messed up here, don't be like Samson. And yet he's listed in the heroes of the faith because God was pleased with Samson. God was pleased with his life, even though it had all kinds of trouble in it. God could still say he is a hero of the faith. Think about how often, as you're reading through the letters of Paul, Paul is complimenting uh, the people that he's writing to about their good works. It's in every letter. He's saying, oh, y'all, did, y'all are doing great at the, you know, at the giving. Y'all are doing great at loving one another. Y'all are doing great at this. You're doing great. Paul is constantly praising the people that he's writing to. Now, he doesn't mince words. He'll say, you know, you need to you know, think about Corinthians. He'll say, you need to stop doing this. You need to stop doing that. You need to start doing this. But at the same time, he's praising people for their good works, for the love that they have for one another. So he's not like, okay, you've reached perfection now in loving one another in the church, and therefore I can praise you. No, he's looking at their mixed works, their works that have all this junk in them, and going, oh, I love the way you all love on each other, right? And so I am confident that if Paul was here and he was taking analysis of all saints, he would say, I love the way you all love on one another. Now, Paul might find ways we could do that better. But he would start with, I love the way you all love on one another. So uh, imagine, uh, you know, uh, we, we often come back. I don't know why. We come back to uh, when we make an analogy. It seems like we so often come back to children cleaning up their room. Maybe it's really traumatic for us parents, but we seem to come back to this analogy over and over. And so imagine this scenario. Uh, You tell your child, go upstairs, you know, Johnny, go upstairs, clean your room. 
Johnny immediately turns on his heels, heads up to his room, and you say, as he's heading up, you say, we have to leave in an hour, you know, so you've got an hour, get your room cleaned up. Immediate obedience, boom, on a dime, up the stairs, into his room, and then being the good father that you are, you, you, uh, you peek in every now and then to make sure he's actually doing what he's supposed to be doing. And every time you look in, folding the clothes, he's, you know, he's uh, 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 putting the toys away, and, you know, and he, you know, so you check in, he's still working hard, and then the hour's up, and, you, and, and the father goes up there, and he opens the door, still son working away, son, the father says, okay, it's been an hour, it's time for us to go, and uh, I see that you haven't completed the task, I see that you've kind of pushed a few things under the bed, uh, therefore you are a horrible son, right? That's not how we deal with our children, You'd be so excited that your child diligently worked for an hour and has made great progress on this room, even though, you know, you pull out the drawer and the T-shirts aren't folded really all that well, and, uh, and there's still some stuff under the bed, and even he knows he hasn't completed the task. You'd go, well done, good son. Let's, it's time to go, right? Great job. And that's what God has said. That's the way God deals with us because he is our father. And, and, and so often it feels like we understand that, you know, an earthly father, you know, would see that sincere, diligent work knowing that he could have cleaned the room better, that the job didn't actually all the way get done, but saw that diligent, faithful work. And we go, well done. And a bad father would say, bad son. And yet we think that's who God is, that he looks at our sincere, diligent, hard work and goes, bad servant, rather than, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy uh, of your master. So God is uh, pleased. Um, Hebrews thirteen twenty. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, May he make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul prays for us that God would work in us that which is well-pleasing to him. And he does. God answers that prayer. God works in us in a way that can be well-pleasing to him. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8.12, For if there be first a willing mind... It is accepted according to the man to that a man hath, and not according to that that he hath not. Let me do that again, because that's the old King James. Second Corinthians 12. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what the man hath, and not according to what he hath not. Not only are your good works accepted, your desire to do good works is accepted. How many, how, how often in various scenarios have we said the, the phrase, I, I wish I could have done more? You know, I wish I could have done more. I, I, I wish I had, you know, more money to give to this, to this great agency, this great mercy agency. I wish I had more time to do this. I'm sure that everyone here at the end of the church work day has said, I wish I could have done more. <laughs> but... Um, how often does that not come to our mind? You know, uh, uh, and God's like, yes, I love that in you. I love that you have reached the limit of your talents. You know, it's, it's, uh, what he's saying here is that the man with two talents comes and says, look, you gave me two talents, and I've earned you two talents. I wish I could have earned you five. And not only is he pleased with the two talents, he's pleased with that desire that you could have, you know, if only I wasn't such a limited creature, Father, I would, I would do more for you. If, if I could, I would do more. And he's pleased with that attitude. So it's not even just the works, it's the heart uh, of, of wanting to serve God uh, that, that pleases him. Uh, so we could fall short, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, uh, you know, I'll, I'll never be, you know, I, I try and I try and I just can't uh, reach that, do that thing that, you know, that, that uh, Johnny can do. I wish I could be, you know, serve the way Johnny serves. Uh, and God says, says, 
I love that you with your two talents wants to serve me with five. I love that about you. I love that heart uh, in you. Uh, it's like the, uh, if, if we had, a, if we had a, a five-year-old in the house and he sees the, the, the 15-year-old doing all this stuff for the family and the five-year-old's, I, I, I want to do that. I want to serve that. I want to I do all those things. And the father says, well, you're five, and I appreciate that you want to serve that way. Uh, you can't right now, uh, but that's, I love that you want to serve the family in that way. And then this idea of reward, I do want to touch on that for a minute. 1 Corinthians three fourteen: If a man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before its time until the Lord comes who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then uh, each one will receive his commendation from God. Each one will receive his commendation from God. Well done, good and faithful servant. So when we think rewards, we often think of, of, of uh, money or heaven. And those things might be given to us, right? Uh, but don't dismiss the reward of well done, good and faithful servant. How many, how many sons have been so pleased to hear from their father, well done, good job. You know, and how, uh, how many sons have felt just gone through their whole lives devastated because they never heard that from their father. Uh, and so just the commendation of God uh, is a reward. All right, any questions about that? We can please God. We need to work towards pleasing God. We need to try to be that second or third uh, servant and not the first. Good? Y'all letting me off the hook easy. Uh, so then they want to look at the other side. Because so, so, so often we think our works are terrible. <clears throat> but then we look at unbelievers and go, man, they do really good works. So they want to look at the other side of the thing, and uh, they say, works done by unregenerate man, by unbelievers, although for the matter of them may be things which God commands. Remember, good works are those things which God commands. They may be things that they may do things that God commands, and they may be of good use both to themselves and to others. So they, they did them right, I guess. You know, they were actually useful to themselves and to others. Yet, because they proceed... Uh, well, let me, let me, so let's just look, pause there for a second. So there's these works done by unbelievers, and they are those things which God commands, so check, and they are of good use, both for themselves and others. Check. But these things that are done by unregenerate man proceed not from a heart purified by faith. They proceed not by, they're not done in a right manner you know, according to all that the Word teaches, nor are they done to a right end, to glorify God. And therefore, and they are therefore sinful and cannot please God. Now, isn't that interesting? How this, this is just like the exact opposite of the previous chapter. He said, you believers, your works are full of all kinds of junk, but they're pleasing to God because he's seeing you in his son. He has adopted you as his son. Now he says the unregenerate man, although he does these good works, no matter how good they are, they're sinful and they're not pleasing to God. The unregenerate man cannot please God. And then he goes on to say, and yet their neglect of them is even more sinful and displeasing unto God. So they're, they're just, they're, they're just, you know, it's just a downward spiral for the unbeliever. And you, you think of being, um, uh, in terms of the neglect, making it even more displeasing. Uh, you think about how Jesus dealt with the, the scribes and the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and, and yet you have omitted the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faith. These ought you to have done and not left the others undone. You know, so there's, there's a judgment coming on leaving good works undone, uh, a judgment on the unbeliever. You get, it, it's worse if you don't do them, even though they would have been bad in the first place. 
The sacrifice of the wicked, Proverbs 21, 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind. So the, so the Proverbs is saying the right sacrifice, the doing of the thing properly, if it's from the wicked, it's wicked. You know, the, uh, they, don't, they don't get any bonus points for doing the right kind of sacrifice. Um, uh, or Haggai 2.14. So this people, this nation before me, saith the Lord, and it's, uh, every work of their hands which they bring to me is unclean. So even their good works are unclean. They're no good. Uh, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. Uh, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Titus one fifteen, Amos five twenty one. I hate you and despise your feast days, and I will not smell. I will uh, uh, not bless your solemn assemblies, for uh, though they offer me burnt offerings and meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offering of your beasts. So, uh, whenever the wicked come. Even with their right works, uh, they are of, of no value. And so I just, I do find, so I find this chapter, this last chapter, I mean this last paragraph, so fascinating because it is such the opposite of the previous one. The believer, as he is a child of God in the household of God, even though his good works are defiled, please God. And the unbeliever, because he's not, con- he's not bent the knee, as it were, to to Christ, because he is not in the household of God, even his best works are are considered nothing before the Lord. Uh, and so, uh, don't be confused by how you feel. You know how you feel how sinful you are, and as you look out the world and go, but other people seem outside the church seem to be getting it so right. God is looking down at with a very different measuring stick, and going, "Well done, my good and faithful servant." And uh, depart from me because I never knew you to the unbeliever, no matter what they have done. So that is it. Any questions? All right. Well, then uh, let me close this in prayer and we'll go over to worship. Father, thank you for uh, your blessing to us. Thank you for giving us good works. Thank you for willing in us to do that which is pleasing in your sight. Father, help us to stir up uh, that good works uh, that you have, that spirit that is in us. We pray that you would help us to stir it up, that we would live the Christian life, that we would scour the word to find out what you would have us to do, and then, Father, that you would give us the spirit to do it. Father, help us uh, through this wilderness wandering that when we come to the end, we will hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.